Hi, welcome to Pitt Town Church. We are so glad that you're listening to this podcast. We pray that this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus. If you would like more information, check out our website at www.pitttownchurch.com. Thank you, Trav. Well, now that you've got your Bibles out, why don't you turn them to Philippians chapter 4 as our Bible reading tonight comes from Philippians chapter 4 verses 1 to 9. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you tonight, you can uh, scan the QR code on the chair in front of you. That will take you to a link to the passage as well if you might find that helpful. Philippians chapter 4. So then, my brothers, you are dearly loved and longed for, my joy and crown. In this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is any praise, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, as we have prayed a lot Uh, We are thankful for all that you have done for us. We are thankful for who you are, that you have loved us and you are so consistently good towards us and you have given us everything. You have given us all that we've got and you have given us the Lord Jesus and at this point we are thankful that you have given us your word, that we can know you and that we can live more Uh, effectively, more in line with how the world really is. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to understand what your word has to say and that through it you would uh, conform us and transform us into the people that you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Did you know that they reckon that on average every day you will see 5,000 ads on average, sometimes a little bit less, sometimes a little bit more, but on average, every day you would see 5,000 ads. You saw 5,000 yesterday, you will see 5,000 today, tomorrow you'll see 5,000, 5,000 on average every day. That seems to me like a massive number. It's hard to believe that it's true, but they reckon it is. They're everywhere, right? You would see ads in, like on the TV, you'll see them on YouTube, on socials, you'll see them as you drive on the road, you'll see them in the shops, they're everywhere. But you kind of don't really notice them. And even the ones that you do 
notice you probably, by the time you go to bed, will have forgotten most of them. And we only ever really notice a tiny fraction of what's happening around us. We only ever really notice a tiny sliver of all the things going on around us at any given point. It's too many things. And I think for most of us, maybe all of us, our minds are attuned to noticing negative things. When I was a youth pastor, I remember this uh, conversation after church between a high school kid and his parents. And it was just at the end of the year, we just got the kind of end of year report cards, you know, all your exam results. And this kid had got straight A's in all of his subjects, except for one where he got a C. And after church, his parents and him were chatting. And can you guess what the parents focused on? They focused on the C. And all this kid wanted was his parents to say, good job, man. You, you worked really hard this year. We're proud of you. But instead, he didn't get that. All he got was what happened with this C. And maybe you know what that dynamic is like. Maybe you had parents like that. Maybe you had a teacher at school who was like that. Maybe you have a boss like that where no matter what you do, no matter how many good things you do, great things, no matter how hard you work, no matter how you go above and beyond, those things seem to go unnoticed and the things that they pick you up on are the things that you've done slightly wrong or the mistakes that you've made. Or maybe you feel it in yourself. Maybe you feel like maybe you are that type of person. You are the parent person where even if you look around and it's all A's, all you see are C's. Maybe that's you. Maybe you feel like, you know, people could say a hundred nice things about you. But if someone just says one slightly critical comment, that's all that you'll think about. Maybe you're the kind of person where if there's one person who is upset at you or who doesn't like you, even if a thousand people like you, it's going to be that one person, that one relationship that's a bit tense, that's all that you can think about. And maybe inside your own head, you start to get paranoid and, and you start to, to like overthink everything and you start to think maybe everyone else doesn't like me either, but they're just better at faking it than this guy. And you start to get suspicious of everyone and it overtakes you. Most of us are better at noticing what's not good, what's annoying, what's frustrating, what's less than ideal what's defective, what needs fixing, what needs changing, what needs improving. We're better at noticing those things than the things that are going well, the things that are positive, the things that are praiseworthy. And we see these kind of things in others. We see these things in ourselves. We, we see them in our circumstances. And if we pray much, then these will probably be the things that we would normally spend our time praying about. And what we're going to do, what we're going to see 
the Savo is not that it's wrong to notice those things, but that Paul wants us to make sure that we also notice a whole bunch of other things that we might often overlook or ignore. And it's not that he wants us to put on our rose-coloured glasses and, and just be all self-help, positive thinking, idiotic optimism, you know, just think happy thoughts. Instead, what we're going to see is Paul just wants us to be more realistic as we look at the world and as we look at our own lives. And, and he wants us, what we're going to see is he's not wanting us even just to bring balance to how we think but that he's actually going to teach us and model for us a totally different way to view our lives, a totally different way to enjoy and thank and think. For the last few weeks, we have been in our Treasuring Christ vision series, lightly walking through the book of Philippians, and we've been looking at it through this lens, this angle of treasuring Jesus. And week one, we looked at treasuring Christ with perspective. What does it matter so long as the gospel is preached and in that I rejoice? Two weeks ago, it was treasuring Christ in humble service. And we saw that he wants us to live our lives not self-centered, but other person-centered because that's the way that Jesus lives his life. And then last week, we saw that treasuring Christ was about treasuring him above all else and that Jesus is more valuable than everything that you're afraid of losing. And tonight we're here in chapter four of Philippians and I want to dwell on these three key thoughts from these, from these verse. And the first one is about rejoicing. So let's, let's go from uh, chapter four, verse four. Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. <laughs> Rejoice. Now, when Paul says this, he really has at least two things in his mind. The first one is, no matter how terrible your circumstances are, how genuinely terrible they might be, in Jesus, you will always have much to be thankful for. And he's sort of already outlined this, rehearsed this earlier on in, in this book, particularly in chapter 2. We didn't really look at this, but that famous part of Philippians chapter 2, where even though Jesus was equal with God himself, he didn't consider that kind of equality a thing to be grasped onto that he would use for his own advantage. But instead, he humbled himself, became a servant, became a human, and then died on the cross and died on the cross for us, for you, for me. And what he has won for us, Romans chapter 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is forgiveness and freedom and salvation and grace and no more guilt and no more shame and adoption into God's family. All these things, so many things that are yours in him. And so no matter what the circumstances of your life might look like and no matter how genuinely terrible they may be, 
there is always much to rejoice in the Lord about who he is and what he has done for you. So that's what Paul means, but he also means something else as well, something a bit more, uh, a bit kind of deeper. Because here's my question, and maybe you've, maybe you've wondered this too. Rejoice in the Lord, treasure Christ. Does that mean that I can't rejoice in anything else? If I am to rejoice in Jesus, not in my circumstances, what if my circumstances are genuinely good? Does it mean that I, I can't or I shouldn't rejoice in anything else, only Jesus? Does it mean that I shouldn't rejoice in a new job or that I shouldn't rejoice in a great exam mark or that I shouldn't rejoice in, in like a, a, a refreshing relationship, that I shouldn't rejoice in an artwork or completing a task or anything? Does rejoicing in Jesus mean I can't rejoice in anything else? And the answer is no, it does not mean that. And the reason why you know that is because that's not how it worked. That's not what it meant for Paul. Check out uh, chapter 4, verse 1. At the very start, he says, So then, my brothers, you are dearly loved and longed for, my joy and crown. You Philippians are my joy. And so I think to myself, well, what is it, Paul? Is, is it Jesus or is it the church? Is it, is it Jesus that you rejoice in or is it these people? And the answer is, of course, it's both. It's both because the Christian way of rejoicing is a different way. The way that we enjoy everything is a different way than how everyone else enjoys everything. It's not just that we enjoy this and we enjoy Jesus. It's not just that we, we rejoice in this and also we rejoice in Jesus. Instead, it's that everything we enjoy, we enjoy in Christ. Everything we enjoy, we enjoy for Jesus' sake. Now, you might ask, what does that mean? Well, imagine that you're out in kind of the kind of on, on an old property, there's an old barn, maybe it's your property, there's a barn, and you walk in to it, it's made of wood, it's old, inside it's quite dark, but still quite nice, and you see a beam of light just sort of like streaming in across where you're walking in. There's a crack in the wood up high, and there's a beam of light that kind of comes across. And you can see dirt and like little particles just like kind of swirling and like dancing. Looks quite beautiful, quite captivating. And you look at it and you enjoy it. But then you walk a bit closer to this beam of light. And instead of looking at it, you look up to where it's coming from. You look up to the crack in the wood. And you see outside the barn and it's, there's like the kind of green of the tree next door. You can see the blue sky and maybe even from just the right angle, you can see the sun where the light is coming from. 
That's the difference between looking at something and looking along something. And in the same way, we can look at something and enjoy it. A perfectly cooked favorite meal, fresh KFC chips, perfectly salted, nothing quite like it. An artwork, a, a, a captivating sunset, a refreshing relationship, all those good things that you enjoy. You can look at them and enjoy them like that, which is the way that everyone enjoys everything. Or you can take that same enjoyment, that same beam of light, and rather than look at it, you can look along it. And, and you can trace it all the way back to the sun, where it came from. And you can enjoy everything in Christ. That's what it means to rejoice and enjoy in Christ for his sake. And in everything that you enjoy, you can enjoy the Jesus, the son, who gives you everything to enjoy. Everything in your life becomes a beam of light that you can look along and trace it back to the sun. And so he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoicing in Jesus, treasuring Jesus, is not a way to restrict what you enjoy. It's not about making it smaller. It's the opposite. It means that in everything you enjoy, you enjoy it in Jesus, for Jesus. And rather than making your joy smaller and more restrictive, it actually expands your joy and makes it bigger and deeper and better, and more enjoyable. You don't just look at, you look along. That's what it means to rejoice in the Lord. So then Paul has some more things to say. So that's rejoicing, but Paul then continues on to thanking. Verses 6 and verse 7. He says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This weekend is all about thankfulness. Last night, today, we've been sharing stories and snippets and slivers of little moments across church life of things that we can be thankful for that God has been doing in us and among us. And here in this verse, you'll notice in verse 6, the word thanksgiving. And in this verse, Paul uses three words for praying. He uses the word prayer, petition, and request. And there's no real difference between any of those three words. They all mean basically the same thing. And he's piling them up on top of each other. Now, why, why would he do that? 
you might ask. Well, one of the reasons why is because it gives the verse a bit of momentum, right? You feel like you're really praying for everything. It's, it's prayer, petition, request. We're praying for everything. But the other reason is you can take out the phrase through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, you can take that out and the verse still totally makes sense. So it goes like this, don't worry about anything, but in everything, let your requests be made known to God. That's a good verse. That's a great verse. Instead of worrying about anything, pray about everything. Great. It reminds me of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Same verse. Great verse. Nothing wrong with that verse. But when you take that out, it highlights what Paul is trying to underline. That is thankfulness. That's what he's including. He's underlining the importance of thanks. In our praying, there should be a deep stream of thankfulness, even among the many things that worry us, even among the many cares that we would bring, even among the things that concern us, even among the many things that are no good and that bum us out, even amongst all of that, in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so as you think about all the things that worry you, And as you think about all the things that you want to ask for and and all the things that you want to bring to God, the more I think, the more I should thank. That's the way it's supposed to work. What Paul's highlighting is that there should be a parallel between asking and thanking. It shouldn't be that we we can leap with prayer, but only limp with praise. We should be able to leap with both, praying and praising, asking and thanking. They both should be strong and articulate and specific. But we're not normally like that. It's often easier to find things to complain about than it is to find things to praise or to be thankful for. We're better at specific complaints than we are at specific praise or specific thanks. And this is the same whether it's children and parents and parents and children and husbands and wives and wives and husbands and bosses and workers and workers and bosses and church leaders and churches and churches and church leaders. It's the same. It's the same everywhere. It's the same between us and people, and it's the same between us and God. We're better at specific complaints than we are at specific thanks. Back in 2019, one of my teeth just started to hurt, like a lot. And it was sort of instant, and it just hurt. And And I was so annoyed, and I, like, complained, and I grumbled about it, stupid tooth, got to go see the stupid dentist and take stupid Panadol every day. And the whole thing was stupid. It was really annoying. And I complained about it a lot. 
And towards the end, as I was getting ready to go get it fixed, it just occurred to me that I'd been complaining about this one tooth, but I hadn't, it hadn't occurred to me to be thankful that none of my other teeth were hurting. It was just the one. And then, and then I thought, it also didn't occur to me to be thankful that for the 20 years beforehand, none of my teeth had hurt. It was just this one tooth just recently, and I was so zeroed in on that thing, complaining about it and, and being annoyed by it, that I ignored all of the things that I could and should have been thankful for just when it came to my teeth, let alone anything else in my life. But I just complained about it like an idiot. And isn't that just classic human? And Paul wants us to be better than that. He wants us to be smarter than that. He wants me to be not such an idiot and be able to see my life as it really is. And that there's actually always many and much to be thankful for if we just saw things properly, even if our tooth really does actually hurt. In other words, if I'm not in a thankful state of mind, then I'm in the wrong state of mind. And if you're not in a thankful state of mind, you're in the wrong state of mind. It's just not reality. So we've looked at rejoicing and rejoicing in the Lord, not just looking at and enjoying at, but looking along. Second, we looked at thanking and praying and that thankfulness is the default state of mind for the Christian person. And then now the last thing that Paul wants to focus on here in this section is the importance of how we think and what we think about. So pick it up in verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence and if there's any praise, dwell on these things. Do what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. Dwell on these things. Think over these things. A principle of life is that you will find whatever it is you're looking for in the sense that if you are looking for sad things, then you'll find them. And if you are looking for evidence that people don't like you, you'll find it. And if you are looking for evidence of God's absence, you'll find it. Whatever you're looking for, you'll find it. And a lot of life is about perspective. It's about what lens you're using to look through. For example, let's say something bad happens in your life. Maybe it's very um, serious. Maybe it's not. It's a thing that you don't like it. You didn't want it. It's not fun. It's happened. What should you do? How, how should you think about that? Well, you might be tempted to think that God hates you, 
but that's not true. Then you might think, well, maybe this is some kind of spiritual attack. These bad things are, are a spiritual attack. And maybe that's true, but how, how would you ever know whether that was true or not? You couldn't. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. You might think spiritual attack or not, what you know because the Bible says so, what you know is that in all things God is drawing you closer to himself. He is deepening your dependence upon the Lord Jesus and that in all things he is transforming and strengthening you that you would become more like him. And you know that's true because it's in the Bible. And so spiritual attack, don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But that God is making me stronger and conforming conforming me into the image of his son, definitely true, 100% for sure. And so Paul says, think about such things, dwell on those things. Just imagine what life would be like if in your mind, these kind of things are the things that you dwelt on. When bad things happen, when, when people did the wrong thing, yeah, you thought about it. Yes, you registered it. Maybe even you articulated it. But what would happen if you then didn't dwell on it? Now, some of you might think this is just positive thinking. This is just, this is just pie in the sky, out of touch with reality, not confronting the facts of life. And perhaps, you know, at first glance, when you first hear it, perhaps it could sound like that. But you have to then remember who's saying it and where they are. This is Paul and he's in a first century prison. This is not empty, positive thinking, disattached from reality, don't confront the brutal facts. The first item in Paul's list is whatever is true. And Paul's point is that we don't often see what is ultimately actually true. Often our thinking is small and, and restricted and lazy. Remember back in week one where Paul's in prison and he says to the church, I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Remember that? He wants them to see not just the little lazy view of his circumstances, but the actual truth of the situation. There's always multiple ways, multiple angles, multiple lenses to use when you look at your circumstances. And Paul models and teaches explicitly the way that we ought to do it. Verse 9, he says, this whole letter is an example of what this verse looks like. He says, verse 9, do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. What he's referring to is the way he thinks. Paul has been modeling this for us the whole way. 
He's in prison. But what does it matter? Only that Christ is preached and in this I rejoice. And this is not our natural default lens. You know what I reckon we often do with this verse? I reckon we often use the reverse translation. Let me read you this verse. This is the Craig Hamilton reverse translation of of, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. This is the C-H-R-T. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is not quite right, whatever is cowardly, whatever is just plain wrong, whatever is broken, whatever is trashy, whatever is shameful, if anything is out of touch with reality or if anything is mean, dwell on such things. I think for a lot of us, we live our life in the reverse translation. But Paul shows us another way, a better way, not to be rose-coloured glasses, idiotically optimistic, but to be realistic about our life. He says, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence and if there's any praise, dwell on these things. God wants us to see the world as it actually is, but we normally are bent to see what's bad and what's annoying and what's frustrating and what's less than ideal and what's defective and what needs fixing and what needs changing and what needs improving. And in itself, there's nothing wrong with seeing those things. The problem is when we dwell on those things. The problem is when that becomes our native language, when that becomes the primary lens that we look at the world through. Because when that becomes our primary lens, our view of the world is distorted, but we think it's clearer, but it's not. We think that we see the world properly, but Paul says, actually, there's another more accurate, more truthful way to see the world. You always have lots to be thankful for in the Lord Jesus. When Jesus is your treasure, all of life looks different. It, it really does change everything. Your priorities are different. What's valuable is is recalibrated. Even even the way you enjoy things is now different. Chapter 1, he says, what matters is that Christ is preached and in that I rejoice. Chapter 3, last week, he says, whatever was to my advantage, I now consider loss. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. You can enjoy something by looking at it, 
or you can enjoy something by looking along it and tracing it back to the sun. And as we look at the world, as we look at our life and our circumstances and the people around us and the things we have and the things we don't have, our native language is to be thankful. Following Christ means treasuring him. And it means treasuring him above all else. And so it means growing a thankful heart in everything, no matter our circumstances, so that you could say, what does it matter? Just that Christ is preached and in that I rejoice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for everything. Amen.